I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices and theology. If you appreciate this Women's Empowerment Podcast, consider donating on our Patreon page. You can support us for as little as $2 a month, which is kind of like buying me a really cheap beer once a month. Doesn't that sound awesome? This week is round two with the newest female Episcopal priest in Oklahoma, Reverend Aaron Jean Ward. Aaron serves as the rector of St. Luke's in Ada, Oklahoma. We chat about preaching and sermon writing. We discuss her theology of preaching, methods of sermon creation, and the importance of connecting everything with scripture. Hope y'all enjoy this delightful chat. Here's Aaron. I have so many questions because as an aspiring priest, I'm like a little baby sermon writer. I'm like a little infant trying to figure out how to grow and get it all figured out. And so I'm so excited to learn from you and hear about your process and how one goes about this. And I'm sure this is different, a little different, depending on what denomination you're in, maybe. Oh, yeah. Well, I will just say that preaching is one of my favorite things that I do as a priest. And I don't know that everyone would say that. I mean, for some people, it's not their thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't think it's my thing because I'm especially good at it, but because it brings me a tremendous amount of joy. Mm. And the whole process, even when it's frustrating and kind of makes me want to rip all my hair out, (laughs) I still love it. It's almost like I love the chase because you Mm -hmm. can kind of know – you can almost know sometimes when you read a text what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. I can already figure out these are the points that I think are vitally important for this context to hear. But how am I going to say it? Right. That's what I don't know. And sometimes, because the Holy Spirit is sometimes mean, you don't find out until like Saturday how it is <laughs> you're supposed to say it. And so, for, But it's almost like the, the, the hunt is on. Like I'm going to figure out how to say this. It's just going to yeah. take some time and some prayer. Yeah. One of the most challenging things for me, this is kind of more abstract thinking about sermon writing, but just the act of preaching was super intimidating to me at first. Mm -hmm. Like I've always just thought, first of all, I thought I was just going to be a theologian and I wasn't going to try to do priesthood or even see as being a theologian probably means I should project, you know, words and teach people things which is, you know, often what preaching is, but like just standing up there, like speaking kind of on the behalf of, of God as like a prophet, as like a, someone who, you know, like a, a wise person in the faith was terrifying to me. Mm. Like, I don't like, I mean, I still don't really feel like I have any right to be talking about God. Like I, like I know what God's up to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or what God really wants or what God's trying to say in this text. Like sometimes, or at least at first, it felt very, I don't know, sheepish or or just ridiculous that I would ever go up there and say anything. Um, did you ever have any of that? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, what is it called? Imposter syndrome? Where you yeah. just feel like you're an imposter in your yeah. invocation? Yeah. Or having moments where I'm like, why would you want to hear what I think? I have no training. And then exactly. thinking, 
wait, I'm a master's degree. Like I do, I actually, (laughs) by the definition, have the training. So I should just take that off of my list of reasons why I shouldn't do this. But, you know, I think there's different theologies of preaching and different ways that we can go about it. And the same way you connect um, the Eucharist with, within persona Christi, I actually think in persona Ecclesia. So I stand in the place of the church. And if you you take that and you bring it to preaching, I don't stand in the place of God. I stand in the place of the church. So I try. And the only thing that allows me to stand in a pulpit in the first place is to think of myself as being someone who's talking across to the people. I have a message. I have something to offer. I have a way to think about this, a way to reflect on it, but I'm talking to you as an equal. Uh, One of the things that I do in my preaching because it's helpful for me is I use a lot of I statements. Um, uh I tend to confess my sin. If I think that's a sin we need to talk about, right? Because what I want people to see is not someone who comes down from on high to impart some knowledge that they clearly don't know because they need to work on themselves. Yeah. But someone who can say, I know how hard it is to live into this because it's just as hard for me. Right. And as your priest, I'm working really hard on this and I'm going to fail. Yeah. But what I'd like to encourage you to do as a congregation, as a part of the body of Christ is to try to come fail with me. Right. Mm. And fail beside me and know that if we fail, we fail in good company. Right. That just blew my mind, Darren. That was so helpful. And maybe that was just like my Catholic education because that's what the priest is in Persona Christi. And, and that so, is very much the Catholic theology. Yeah. I just personally feel very uncomfortable just because I know what I no, do. it is. I just know how I think and I know my sin. My sin is ever before me. And so the it idea is. that I can never be in Persona Christi is just outside of my personal theology. Exactly. Like I, I can't, that's why I'm saying I felt like this. And now you've helped me realize that's not necessarily what I'm doing. The way you just described it is like so much more real to me. <laughs> I just didn't have words for it. So thank you for that. Like, awesome divine mind bomb um that's so huge because i think a lot of people even like even if they didn't know that what i that little thing i just said in persona christi like people experience the preaching moment like that right like they experience like that's why we have the ambo right in a lot of churches the 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 priest is above everyone like literally like up in the sky kind of my church growing up was like this a Methodist yeah. church, where the pastor like walked up a freaking fl- two flights of stairs and like spoke down. So like, that's super symbolic of like what Absolutely. we, how we hold this person in high esteem as a moral spiritual leader. And like, they, like they have literally like answers and truth and like privilege to, like I said, what God's up to, which you know, as a super trained theologian myself, I'm like, that's asinine. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and it also matters that the theology of the preacher from the hearer, because if they believe you're in persona Christi, if they believe you are the voice of God, then I think you run a higher risk of offending people. Oh, what you might say is not going to be maybe what they think is appropriate to be coming out of out of that place. And so 
it does actually matter, you know, how they receive it because people will receive things that you didn't say right. or receive things in ways that you would never intend. And that is a reality that you have to reckon with through relationship. Right. Like for instance, um, I had a kid, my kids, my athletes and my students know that I'm, you know, trying to be a priest and I let them know that just as I'm someone they can talk to about things and I have, you know, special training and whatnot. Anyways, I cursed, I curse every now and then. I I love to curse. I'm going to be honest. It's, it's something I enjoy doing because to me, my ethics is being super authentic and transparent. And I like to be very, uh, precise when I say things that, you know, exactly how I feel. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't like to sugarcoat things. I want you to know like very specifically. So cursing really helps with that because it, you know, if I just say, Oh, dang it. I stubbed my toe. You don't really understand how it felt for me. But if I say MF mother effer, you know, that expressed a lot more clearly how painful (laughs) stubbing my toe is. Anyways, I could go on forever. All this to say, I said a curse word at practice. And one of my kids is like, Whoa, coach Smith, aren't you a pastor or something? And I was like, Oh shit. Like how do, I, how do I, how do I navigate this? And then I was like, Hey, you know what? Like, yeah, but I'm not the kind of pastor. Maybe you think I am like, I, I like to be someone that can relate to the people. And this is like, I, we sat in like, we literally had a conversation about it in the middle of practice. I kind of stopped practice when we talked about it. I was like, you know, like I would never curse from the pulpit or like when I'm in a sacred space, like doing something super, you know, I don't know. That's the only word I can find right now. Sacred or, um, yeah. Yeah. In that space. But like where I spend the most time with my priests, like Tim and Kirsten, like we're at a pub, we're doing pub theology or we're at a gathering or riding bikes. Like we're out in the world doing stuff together. And if they can't be real with me and I can't be real with them, and if they're always like acting on this super high level, like I'm not really going to get to know them as real people. And it kind of creates this like wall in front of us that we're like holy or something. So for me, I guess I'm trying to connect this to trying to almost equalize yourself. Like, yes, you, you do have a certain education that lets you speak about certain things, but like, I also want to just be a human because that's all I am too, right? Yeah. So for and me, I have worked really hard to try to be myself and be yeah. a person because I, I won't survive this if I try to be anyone else. Right. I mean, that's not something that anyone should have to be. And I actually think that God called Aaron Jean Ward to be a priest. And so to be anything else is not to actually live in my calling. Right. Um, on the topic of cursing, I showed a video once um, way back and it, and Brene Brown curses in the video. Yeah. And I sort of just didn't think anything of it. You know, I'd been a priest for five minutes and um, <laughs> you know, got the feedback that someone was really, really offended yeah. and that for them it was a real challenge. And that while, and this was what got me 
while there might have been really good things after that to be learned in the class, they couldn't really get over it and get to that. Yeah. And it helped me understand that while I might have this part of my personality that I do think, Oh gosh, I want to be authentic. I want to be myself. I have to put that up against, is it worth potentially losing a person? Right. And the truth is like, I can say things without cursing. I can play videos without cursing and maintain someone's ear within the context of us trying to learn together. But there are things that I'm not going to change. I'm, if I'm not going to change my cowboy boots, they didn't distract you in worship. You know, I mean, that's something that I think we're all just going to have to be okay with. And so part of the priesthood and preaching is discerning, is what I'm about to say that I think might be pretty challenging for some people. Right. Is it worse? Is that challenge worth the fact that I might lose a relationship? Yeah. I might, or I might just lose a hearer. Yeah. People might shut themselves off during the preaching and not hear any of the other things that I might be saying. Right. And sometimes it is worth it. It is worth it to take that risk yeah. because what you're saying is so vitally important. Right. But I've also made the mistake of saying things that were that weren't really worth it and yeah. still losing people in the process right so to speak more specifically walk me through your method of how you think about the sermon writing process what are the things you're taking to account what texts are you reading and talk about too like you know the um the lectionary and those types of things and and that whole process. So this is funny because I don't know that I have a defined process. It changes with the cadence of the week. I'll say that. Okay. Um, If if I were to give general broad strokes um, early in the week, if I'm preaching, I try to read the scriptures. Uh, I don't try to read. I do read (laughs) the scriptures. (laughs) Because I want to have them moving in the back of my head, right? If something happens in my life in that week, I want it to be at least happening alongside those specific stories and those specific texts. And for me, almost right off the back, I can tell which one I'm going to preach on. Yeah. So I might even early on go ahead and read the um, Feasting on the Word commentaries. Mm -hmm. I... I'm of the belief that you can over commentary yourself. Yeah. And that that's how we sometimes end up preaching four sermons in 10 minutes instead right. of one sermon in 10 minutes. Yeah. Because you read so many commentaries and they're all brilliant. And you right. think like, well, I'm going to figure out how to make all of these things. Because <laughs> that's what I'll try to do if I oh, do yeah. that. And so for me, less is more. Um, I, trust the commentaries I read, but I don't spend hours and hours and hours going through, you know, word by word commentaries. That's just not, if I, if I have a question about something as I'm reading it, I'll research yeah. it. Yeah. But otherwise I just stick to primarily feasting on the word. Sometimes new things that are out there being shared on social media or in some of the other groups that I'm in. Yeah. So reading the scripture. Sometimes I don't even read Feasting on the Word until Friday, and Friday's my sermon writing day. Yeah. So sometimes that is a little bit faster of a process. But either way, I just try to keep the story, especially the one that I think I'm going to preach on, in the back of my head. Uh-huh. And then sometimes I end up driving a lot for work, and driving for me is a very, very sacred thing. Oh, it yeah. is 
alone time. It, it can be quiet. It can almost be too quiet. And sometimes when it's too quiet, that's when I do my best thinking and when I do my best work. Yeah. I think some of the best sermons I've ever preached were right after long distance drives, Yeah. like 12 hours alone in a car. And I've even preached just on the fact that at some point along the way, you have listened to your whole playlist. You've, you know, done all the silly thinking you can muster. And the only thing left to do is be alone with yourself right. in a metal box. Right. And what comes out of that is self-realization, um, yeah. sins you need to confess, things you need to deal with in your life. And so for me, that's so healthy. But then what comes out of that too is what's God saying to me? What's God saying in the communities that I'm in? And so out of that, some of my best sermons have, right. have also shown up to me. And so when I have these trips to, you know, Oklahoma City or Norman, I try to read the scripture right beforehand and then read it right before I drive back. Yeah. So it's just, again, just playing in the background. And then I try to always be reading something that isn't religious. Uh. And that is more an act in the um, writing process or the creativity process than the actual theology of the sermon. Yeah. Um, that can be, you know, a recent subscription to the Washington Post, which I currently got. That can be, um, you know, I'm currently reading a book about a serial killer because that's exciting. And I'm not necessarily going to preach about a serial killer, but it's just having um someone else's act of creativity running alongside your own, it helps me get focused. And sometimes by the grace of God, whatever book I'm reading, not a book about a serial killer ends up having a scene or a vignette in it that is preachable. Right. I will be just reading something for fun and then have that text of the scripture going in the back of my head and think, wait a second this actually works. This goes together. Um, I read an article on Friday this past week on Friday about um, the Trader Joe's hostage situation. I don't know if you saw that in the news, but it's a beautiful article from the Los Angeles times about how this man came in and he was bleeding and he was the one who held everyone hostage. And some of the hostages, they wrapped tourniquet around his wounds and they helped calm him down and negotiate his surrender without anyone else getting hurt. Wow. And I read it and it was just something I was reading. And then later I saw the connections between that and the gospel that I had been working on and it ended up being my sermon. But you know, I encountered that for the first time on Friday morning. I wasn't going to preach on that. That wasn't the point. But having something always in your brain. And, you know, I say read something that's because my creative art is writing, Yeah. but sometimes it's a, um, a TV show. It's a podcast. It's some yeah. other form of media that'll get you thinking a little bit outside of yourself yeah. because I think that can kind of draw some things out, some connections between the gospel that you maybe wouldn't have gotten to if you just stayed inside your head. Right. Right. And then the physical writing part is not my challenge. I often find that that part is the easiest. It's figuring out the path. Yeah. Again, like I said, I can read some of these scriptures and already know that I want to say this about God, but that's not preaching. We don't stand up in the pulpit and say, 
you know, God is grace, please be seated. You know, it's not, that's not the whole <laughs> part because the thing is we, we tend to say that we know that God is grace, but what does that mean? Yeah. How does that meet us where we are? How is that something that we will then tell other people about? So while it is proclaiming that is true, it's trying to figure out how to um, disarm that, that big thing about God that we know is true, but that is so big we can barely even comprehend it. Right. I'm not going to help you comprehend it because I can't help you comprehend God. But I can show you images of that in a way that are close to you, images that you might actually have experienced right. and that you might know personally. Right. Right. Via storytelling oftentimes how helpful is that right like yeah um talking about media i preached on the feast day of mary magdalene a couple weeks ago which was just just a delight for me um and right before that weekend was the 2018 sb awards and you know the all the victims from the uh Larry Nassar, sexual abuse, all the gymnasts and the athletes, um, female athletes came forward and accepted the award. And I was like, oh my God, that was so powerful, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'd been following that story uh, for the last year just because I'm just still, it just still blows my mind how these types of things can happen. And then I remind myself, oh wait, like, human trafficking is still happening, but we don't, we don't see it. Um, anyways, but just to weave that into what I was trying to do with my sermon, it just kind of was like, yes, like boom, like, and then, so I started reading a bunch of articles about Allie Reisman in particular, cause she was kind of the main spokesperson during all that. Um, but it tied in great, like a woman's voice. I'm, I'm preaching on Mary Magdalene as being the first, person to proclaim that the risen Christ. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, I'm tying this in. I'm like, this is going to happen. This is, you know, things just call out. Um, do you, I've often thought about sermons and this is me getting really technical and silly probably when I first started writing was to like split it up and do come up with a, and I still do this sometimes, but like have a theological, concept like you said grace and then talk about that a little bit and what people have said about that but then turn it into ethical and then what do we do with grace or what do we do with what we know about grace and perhaps that's where storytelling and like real life experience comes into play um but do you do you ever think about that like theology and ethics or just theology or just ethics or I don't know. Well, I think there is something inherently ethical about looking at a true human story. Yeah. So sure. when you when you get into stories that are from, you know, literature or folklore, that doesn't lend itself directly to the human experience. But I tend to weave together just true human stories um, within the true stories of scripture. So it's kind of like little T truths and big T truths all mixed in together. And mm -hmm. often a lot of that brings out its own inherent um, questions about ethics. But I do think there needs to be a life application point right. um, because of the fact that we are 
putting this within the context of a liturgy that begs us to act. Uh Um, I can sit down and read a theology book, and if it doesn't necessarily tell me how to live my life better, I'm okay with that because that's not what they were trying to do, Uh right? But if you look at the context of the liturgy, the point of the proclaimed word is that we then reflect on it through the sermon. But then what we do after that is that we proclaim what we believe. Uh And then after that, we have our confession of sin. And if we listen to the proclaimed word, and if we reflect on it through, you know, as a community through the sermon, and then profess our faith, we will inevitably see the discrepancies between what we say we believe and Mm -hmm. how we act Mm -hmm. and what scripture tells us is true. Right. And we then get to take all of that and put that into our confession. Yeah. And then following the confession, you know, we've said all of these things that um, we ought to have done or not done. We receive our absolution. We are reconciled through peace. We are given sustenance through the Eucharist. And then we are sent as different people through that process. I haven't been transformed. Which which requires action, right? right? That it is all action. So part of the preaching then for me is in some way, shape or form, figuring out what this means about you, where you are, me, where I am in our context and how we're going to try to be made into disciples. Right. 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 How do, how do you decide if, the sermon's going to be more pastoral kind of. And what I mean by that is, you know what I mean by that, but for everyone else, like kind of more gentle and caring and loving and kind of a let's, I'm going to love on you guys for a little bit and give you some hope and peace compared to like, what I'm going to say is like a prophetic message of like, we need to do something or we need to, we need to change or we need to be called out. Um, so for instance, I, I really enjoy doing prophetic, more prophetic type preaching, which is why I'm wondering if I shouldn't be bivocational where I just drop in and be a supply priest and just drop freaking bomb on people and leave, you know, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about those two types? And is, is there a way to be both or is that something you consider when you're, I mean, certainly has to do with your congregation and what's going on. Um, but I wouldn't ever want to be anything other than both. Um, but I've so almost never been in a context where I got to leave afterward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's the only thing I've done. <laughs> and the only thing I'll say about that <sighs> is that I think it, and everyone says that, you know, it's a gift to be able to go in and preach and leave because you can quote unquote say whatever you want. But preaching is far more than what you say. Sure. It's how it's received by the community. And I think we are made better priests, better preachers, better bearers of the prophetic message when we actually have to wrestle with the repercussions of our sermons. Mm. Because we need to hear how it's received. And when you leave, and it's not a choice for most people who do that. I mean, that's just they're there one Sunday, so they do that. But I think you are made a better a better preacher when you actually receive that feedback and when you actually get to hear how it's heard. Right. And I think the only way I can figure out anything as far as, you know, whether or not it's going to be, you know, a more pastoral sermon or something that's more maybe um, current 
news headline um, sort of thing is keeping my fingers of various communities. The one community would be sort of the nation, you know, our world writ large. Are we dealing with a national tragedy that frankly, most people in church are looking to their priest to address? Right. Or are we in a season in our church that is deeply painful and traumatic? I mean, there have been situations where, gosh, we had four funerals in one week, one time maybe. Right. And they were all like actively every Sunday attendees. Like they were people that when you walked in the room and, and you didn't see them, people would just start weeping. You know? And at the end of that week, nobody's going to stand up and talk about headline news. No. Because that's not the obvious need of the congregation. Right. This congregation needed to like just hear that Jesus loved them and that Jesus resurrects people when they die. Right. And that was the only appropriate sermon to be preached. Yeah. But then in specific contexts, what happens in, you know, the national discourse is the only appropriate thing to talk about. And what I try to keep ever mindful for me is that it starts with scripture. I can hear the coolest story about weird practices of a tribe and whatever that I'm like, Oh, that sounds exactly like this cool thing. But if it isn't connected to the lectionary text that I've been given, and especially just the Bible generally and scripture, as we understand it within the Christian tradition, then it doesn't fit. Yep. And what I have an issue with is when I feel like the scripture has been wedged into something that isn't born out of scripture. Yeah. So if, if, you, if, if there's a cool thing going on in the world yeah. and then we just sort of figure out how to put the Bible into that enough to call it a sermon. Yeah. I think the origin of it has to be how we're wrestling with scripture and community. Yeah. I think that I'm so glad you said that. Um, Cause the one thing I'm constantly reminding myself when I'm doing the sacred process of, of writing a sermon, I take so seriously um, as I know you do too, is, is that, that, that grounding piece of scripture, like what I'm, and I've had priests tell me before, Sarah, you, you preach the gospel message when you preach. That's the, is it the gospel? Whatever you're saying, whatever you're doing, you know, what's the good news in this scripture? Um, cause that's, that's, that's the point of it is proclaiming the word mm-hmm. from, from the word. And you're right. If I can weave in some things that are going on to make it make sense or another story, that's awesome. But if it's not grounded in the text and in tradition and in, you know, for the Anglican tradition, it's, we've got the three-legged stool, the sources of authority, right? Mm-hmm. That we use scripture, tradition, reason. Um, and all those things have to come together, but we start with the text. And um, for folks that don't know, cause I've, I've told some of my kids this about the lectionary and that, you know, all churches around the world who are liturgical churches that use the lectionary, the the common lectionary, we say, we proclaim out loud in the service every Sunday, every week, the same exact text each week Mm -hmm. around the world. And, um, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the entire biblical text is, is read in a three-year cycle. 
It's not the entire biblical text because some things have been omitted. You can hear almost okay. the entire uh, Bible okay. in, in about three years. The things that sort of get omitted that everyone likes to bring up is, you know, you don't read about dashing babies' heads on rocks out of the Psalms. Those uh, sorts of things have been excerpted out. Yeah. And there's arguments around some of the things that were taken out yeah. um, based in the argument that if it's in the Bible, it shouldn't not be read in, right. um, in the assembly. But you can hear almost the entire Bible yeah. in three years via the lectionary. Which I think super cool. I love to know that all my friends are wrestling with the same text as me that week and then I could text anyone and be like hey what are you thinking about this or yeah across denomination yeah. I'm in a clergy young clergy women's group just for lectionary and it's just for those of us who preach the lectionary and it can be Lutheran Methodist right. Presby- I don't know if Presbyterians is it maybe they do yeah um but just and all of us we get together and we talk about what we might preach this day and um share ideas and things we loved about preaching and I just think it's a nice tool for ecumenism. Yeah. I was going to say it, it makes me feel so connected to Christians all over the world. And it's so interesting how people say that Episcopalians don't read the Bible because while I think it's certainly a growing edge, our study of scripture is obviously a growing edge. And I think all of Christianity, Yeah. but in my former tradition, I mean, there were certain verses that I knew by heart, Sure. but the breadth of scripture and that, narrative that story that i love to tell that makes me a storyteller so many parts of that were completely omitted until i got to a church that actually tries to read most of the bible um over the course of three years and if i walk into church i will hear an old testament a lesson a psalm an epistle and a gospel i mean there's range within what we engage and as the preacher it's fun because you have options within the yeah. scriptures that you've been given. And so I know some people who are very, very interested in Old Testament teaching. I have to admit, I just, you know, call me still a hyper Protestant. I just love the gospels. Yeah. So I just almost, almost always go for that. But I do occasionally preach you know, epistles and Old yeah. Testament. And it's nice to be able to have options within our tradition. Right. Um, crap, I had a question. Oh, this made me think of, in terms of how uh, liturgical churches preach, um, a lot of other non-denoms preach based on like topics or like series, doing a a sermon series. Um, And this is not... Tim and Kirsten do do this. It's really different uh, than uh, my experience back in my evangelical days. But... um, they still will tie it to the scripture being read that week, which I'm like, how do you do this? But they seem to do it. Uh, how do you feel about those types of things? Cause it's so different to me and I, I don't, I don't prefer it, but I know some people who are like leaving evangelical spaces to go to liturgical spaces. It might be helpful and just like connecting and making it more, I don't know applicable to life perhaps um i don't know i come from that background where we did sermon series and um i know a lot of i shouldn't say a lot i know some episcopal priests who are doing sermon series and we did a few at my church in dallas and they were very different from what i knew before it wasn't um i think as 
I would say orchestrated because it was still reflecting on the scriptures as they were given to us in the lectionary, but with um, sort of a different focus. I'm going to be the 31 year old and somehow stodgy Episcopal priest who says that um, I think there are plenty of sermon series like Lent and Advent. Girl, come on. um, We're on week (laughs) five of bread. I mean, I think the lectionary and, and our observance of season actually gives us a lot of sermon series in and of themselves. Yeah. So Advent and Lent are my favorite seasons of the year yeah. because there is an overarching theme that's happening right. that is specifically being illuminated through these parts of scripture. Right. So I would just say um, I preach the sermon series that are given to me by the lectionary. Love it. Thanks again, Reverend Aaron, for sharing your story with us. Y'all can follow Aaron at the Rev EJ on Twitter and Instagram and her most recent work at www.aarongeneward.com. Next week, I chat with the CEO and creator of the newest Bible app called Our Bible App, Crystal Cheatham. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. And as always, please rate and review and subscribe to Theosophia on iTunes and follow us on all the social media platforms. Peace.